Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio host, and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe. Hey, everybody. This is your good friend, Dr. David Proden from down here in the North Star Recording Studio. And welcome. Welcome very much to this episode of the Safety Doc Podcast. Got a little bit of setup stuff here to do. So, um, yeah, it is. It's crazy weather right now. So was 65 degrees sunny here today. Was able to get out wash and wax the Buick, but yet we're supposed to get snow in the next 48 hours. In just about an hour north of us, they could get 14 inches of snow. Windy, blowy, snow, crazy stuff for April. But uh, we're going to wait here just a minute or two for people to get into the live stream. And I'm really excited about this episode. Um, I've put together the blog post already for it, so that's ready to go. Um, I've assembled the you know, kind of the preliminary stuff that I'm going to be getting out after this episode concludes today. So this will be out on YouTube, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, everything within a couple hours, um, because this, this is great content. And a lot of people right now are asking me, um, how do we describe the coronavirus event? And, and what they kind of default to, right, is saying it's our generation's 9-11. And I'm like, well, no, it's not. And I'm going to tell you why. But I'm also going to give you the perspective here of the safety doc, you know, I was a teenager back in 1986 during the Chernobyl nuclear disaster in the Ukraine, Eastern Russia. And I have some very um, distinct similarities or parallels that I'm going to draw between these two events. And I think that that'll be a good way for you also to think about it and to help people when they're like, ah, I want to describe it, but I don't know how. Well, it's kind of like our generation's Chernobyl, not our generation's 9-11. So let me just kind of give an overview of down here in the North Star Recording Studios. So first of all, thank you very much for watching this live stream. Uh, it means a lot to me. Uh, I put together hours, you know, of, of work into the content and and making sure that it's it's relevant for you, that it's researched. So if you're saying, hey, I heard that on the Safety Doc podcast, it's like, by God, that's probably accurate, right? Um, what I'll do is I'll continue to go back and, and check the chat room. Welcome, Chest Rockwell, to the chat with a great lineup uh, today. And um, if you can go ahead and click the thumbs up, I appreciate that. Also, if you haven't already subscribed to the Safety Doc podcast channel here on YouTube, do that. Um, I've experienced an increase in subscribership, I guess they would call it. That's a good thing. Um, but you can be part of that by subscribing, sharing it uh, with others. I already see nine thumbs up, so that's awesome. Thank you so much. So what I have going on in front of me right now is I'm presenting. I have the main screen in front of me, so I can see me right on the left are my notes for this live stream. On the right is just an open Google search page. So I have three monitors ahead of me. So if, if I'm kind of looking around, you know what's going on, but over here, are my notes for today's episode. And the exciting part too is I already, again, have the blog post, the description for the episode written. So when this is done, all that's gonna be up and live. So if you liked it, and hopefully you will, 
you'll be able to share it out with a friend and they'll be able to not only just, you know, get the show, but also kind of get the notes and everything behind the scenes that goes with it. So I encourage you to post in the chat room. You've already started to do that. So yeah, that's great. I'm going to, you know, go back and forth, answer questions in the chat, you know, give feedback to comments in the chat. So I appreciate that. Um, how am I doing? How's the safety doc doing? Well, a few things. One is like, I have my one light here. Um, I'm supposed to have another light coming in. I ordered it off of Amazon along with an additional microphone for my camcorder when I do remote stuff. Um, and it said that'll, that'll be delivered June 5th. Wow. You know, that's kind of where we're at right now with Amazon. So I'm going to have to wait a little bit a while, but I'm doing well and my family is doing well. Um, so, you know, that is, that's definitely good news here and being able to be outside today, a lot of people outside. Hey, here's a face validity check-in from Southern Wisconsin, right here from where the safety docs at. So a few things. One is did some Walmart shopping. They now have the plexiglass barriers up between the cashier and, uh, you know, the person, you know, is checking out. So I think, you know, that didn't seem real intrusive. And I'm guessing that'll probably always be there just as just as something as a practice will will adopt. But so that's something new. I hadn't seen that until yesterday. Our state parks have closed. What's up with that? The state parks have closed. So that was supposed to be where everybody could get out, social distance, enjoy nature. We have some big state parks around here, but they've shut those down. So, yeah, that's kind of a bummer. Um, some people have, have said, you know, hey, we want it to get out. At the, and people are still doing it, like, <laughs> but they park their car and then they walk into the park. And, of course, they have your license and you get a ticket for it anyway. But, yeah, the state parks are closed. Um, and also here in my community, the city parks, they're all roped off in that yellow police tape. It looks like a crime scene. And then there are signs, you know, this is off limits for now and whatever. And then they've taken down the basketball hoops. So. But my neighbor has a basketball hoop. Um, so thankfully, I can go over there with my kids and, and shoot anytime. But yeah, yeah, it's you know some face validity stuff. Um, things are getting more in stock at the stores. Yeah, I've seen that. So little, just a little um, touch and base here at the start. Please, if you haven't already, subscribe to this channel. Share it with your friends. Give a thumbs up for the show. Um, you know, I've been I've been doing a lot of content lately. So this is the eighth or ninth show in the last uh, month, you know, four or five weeks. Uh, this is episode 129. So if you go back in my content over the last four years, a lot of interviews and now recently a lot of live streams. So check it out. In the last episode, episode 128 with the great Sir Brian Bowden from New York City from the Bronx. Brian Bowden. One of my faithful identity member checks, you know, I, I get in, contact Brian every couple of days. Brian, what do you see in a New York City? What's happening there in the Bronx? And he's giving me that update. So I appreciate that. That's a terrific episode, 128. We talked a lot about um, government tracking via your cell phones. And suddenly, what do we see? Like what <laughs> all these articles coming out saying Apple and Google are now working to you know, track people via their cell phones if they've, uh, you know, tested positive for COVID or or if they've been in an environment where there's someone who's been positive. So it's really a, a great episode to listen to. You know, Brian's a macro thinker. He's a big, he's a big concept guy. And he also has this, this amazing background, like International Monetary Fund and stuff like that. So he sees it from different angles. It's, it's a good show. So yeah, check that one out. Um, episode 128, we released that a couple of days ago. All of my shows are released on video audio. And then of course I do a blog post for all those. You can find them right here on YouTube, um, on Podbean, and then also at safetyphd.com. So today's live stream, let's get into it. Today's live stream. 
Um, what I'm going to do is aim to wrap this up by uh, 10 p.m. Central Time here where the doc is at. So just about an hour and 10 minutes. Um, so today's live stream, I, I've been hearing people say uh, almost, almost nonstop, um, this is our generation's 9-11. Okay, the coronavirus pandemic, Dave, is our generation's 9-11. It's just not accurate. That's not an accurate way to look at it. Now, I understand why people, you know, kind of say that, right? Because it's it's this big sentinel event and, and you know, it's, it's all over the media and people are feeling nervous. But actually, there's a much better comparison. If we're going to do that, if we're going to benchmark, there's a much better comparison. And that is the 1986 Chernobyl nuclear disaster in uh, Pripyat, Russia, which is the Ukraine. So it's Eastern Russia, right? It's, it's actually not far from like Poland and, you know, you can go over to like, you know, Great Britain and things like that. But I mean, that was something I lived through, you know, so the doc's not exactly young, but not exactly old. But I was a teenager in 1986. I vividly recall the Chernobyl nuclear disaster. And I'm going to play back some of the things that I remember and how that impacted me and why it makes more sense for us today to describe what is going on with the coronavirus as a Chernobyl-like event. I'm going to give you five specific reasons why that makes sense to say that. So first of all, I'm going to pause and look over here in the um, chat room. And uh, hey, Red Crusader, welcome, Sir Bryden Bowden. Sass too many. Hey, appreciate that you're here. Uh, Jim Mallard of the Mallard Report. Yeah, Jim, I made sure to do this on a Saturday. I'm not going to do this on a Tuesday night because people need to be tuned in to the Mallard Report on Tuesday nights. Um, but yeah, I, I appreciate. Um, I don't see any questions in here, so I'm going to move on. Um, where did you get that sport coat? Of course, it is Oscar de la Renta. I don't pay more than $30 for a sport coat, and I only buy them off of eBay. It's the best way to be. So, hey, my, my intro. In 1986, I was a teenager. Believe it or not, the doc at one point was a teenager. 1986, I was living with my parents. My brother, who's 10 years older than I am, we lived in a small town in central Wisconsin. 1,500 people, small town, right? Surrounded by farms, just a small community. I was playing baseball, football, typical stuff. You go to the movie theater in the next town. I was working at the swim center. It was good times. But, you know, as typical of a life that was, the house that I grew up in was built in the 1960s. And once you got downstairs and you turned to your right, there was this huge blast door, right? And if you spun the handle around on the door, it would open up and you'd go inside. And there was 18 inches of concrete on the walls and on the ceiling. It was a bomb shelter. So when the house was built in the 60s, they built it with reinforced steel, a heavy-duty bomb shelter, kind of like something, you know, out of, out of like a Cheyenne Mountain type of concept which was a little bit interesting to me because, I mean, this was a rural community. We didn't live in a metro. I mean, we're 1,500 people at least 15 miles away from anything that would be considered a bigger community. But yeah, so every time, you know, I would go go downstairs, we'd have this. And it would just turn into storage at this time, right? It's just storage. But um, it was this reminder of the Cold War, of a time that, yeah, what if there was, what if there was a nuclear war? So Wow. You know, so let's let's take it back to the 1980s. So I'm growing up in the 1980s, right? And we're thinking about the Soviet Union. It, it was on our mind because uh, we had, in 1983, ABC 
television did a movie called the day after you can find clips of it on youtube the day after and it was a it was focused on a small rural town in kansas and what these people went through if there was actually a nuclear war it was terrifying i remember watching this on on abc and just how how freaked out i was by this and actually um gorbachev you know in russia was saying that was part of the reason this this movie was part of the reason that they started uh, to to disarm, you know, from from nuclear weapons, the U.S. and and Russia. But so anyway, like the day after, we're thinking about, you know, the Soviet Union nuclear war was on everybody's mind. Uh, Nana, the song, uh, ninety nine red balloons, staying. I hope the children love their children, or their. I hope the the uh, Russians love their children too. Rocky Four was in theaters. In you know, Sylvester Stallone. Um, Rocky fighting uh, Drago and, uh, you know, the protagonist of, of Western values versus you know, the evil, you know, image of, of Russia. So this was all very much in people's mind. And here's, here's something I'll never forget. I'll never forget, folks. So when I was growing up, right, I'm a teenager and, um, and they replaced the, uh, the siren downtown. We only had one siren in our community in case there was a tornado, right? The siren would go, but we got, we got a postcard. So my parents got a postcard in the mail. And uh, so again, I'm a teenager. This postcard arrives. I'll, I'll never forget this because this postcard always had an impact on me. So it was a simple postcard. It came from the city. Again, I lived in a city of 1500 people. I could take my bike and in five minutes be on the other side of the city. I and mean, it wasn't very big, no stoplights, no subway, no McDonald's That's where I lived. But uh, this, this postcard comes in, right? This postcard comes in. And, uh, and it says, Hey, we have, a, we have a new siren in town. We have, a, we have a new siren and it'll have three sounds. And the first sound, and it, it had this, the straight, the straight line, right? If you hear this, where it just has a straight sound, the straight line, that means there's severe weather. Okay. That you should get in your basement, take shelter, severe weather. If it goes up and down at a slow pace, that means there's a fire and we're calling people to the fire department. They did that back in 1986 in my hometown. That was before everybody had pagers and things like that. They used to ring the fire siren. Um, but there was a third line on this card, which I, I, I remember and it sticks in my mind and it's disturbing. The third line um, had a very fast up and down, um, you know, kind of wave, right? So fast wave up and down, up and down, up and down. And it said, if you hear this, that means we are engaged in hostile military action and tune into your, you know, TV or radio to get further instruction. And I'm like, oh my God, like we had never received anything like that before. And I'm sitting here as a teenager looking at this card. What my mom did is, is she took tape, she put it inside the cupboard door. So of course, like, you know, we could always, we could remember it, right? It's three things, but it was, it was always there. You open up the cupboard door where the soup cans, the Campbell soup cans were, and by God, this card was there and, um, I'll, I'll just never forget it. So anyway, you know, so, um, you know, these things that we think about when we're younger, how they imprint on us, but let's talk about Chernobyl. So that, Chernobyl, it was April 26th, 1986. Again, I'm a teenager at this time. There was an explosion in the number four reactor at Chernobyl nuclear reactor power plant in Pripyat, Russia, which is in Ukraine. Again, if we think Eastern Russia, close to Europe, uh, there was an explosion, right? It, it blew the roof off of 
of reactor four. Um, it, it was absolutely uh, horrific. People who had observed it happened at night. And, um, and when it did that, all of this radiation just launches out of this, this nuclear reactor, right? It's just launching up this, this big cloud. And it's, it's, it's hundreds of times, uh, it's equivalent to 500 Hiroshima bombs, right? This is all going into the air, okay? This is, this is crazy stuff, right? This is absolutely unbelievable. Um, this is, this, these radioactive clouds are showing up. They're being detected all across Europe within a few hours. Uh, it's just, it's, it's wild stuff. Um, so it, it's the biggest uncontrolled radioactive release in history, like, you know, that we've ever had in civilization. And this stuff was going, pump, it was pumping into the air for a solid 10 days before it started to come down. But this event lasted months, and we can argue that it lasts to this day. The news right now, the news right now out of the Soviet Union is they have wildfires near this Chernobyl plant. Now, everybody's been moved out of there, right? Everybody's been gone. They evacuated everybody. They, they relocated everybody. But these fires... These fires are happening right now. These trees, which has absorbed this radiation from 1986 and on, these trees now are spewing this radiation back out into the environment as they're burned. This stuff will be in the, you know, airborne. It's going to be detected again in the United States, probably within just a few days. Crazy to think about that, but it's going to impact the northern hemisphere. If you had a Geiger counter, dosimeter, I guess, right now when you're going outside your house, it probably start to detect this stuff. So one of the points of this show is to say the the coronavirus is something that started, it had an onset, and then it will reach a peak, and then it will always kind of linger. Um, so it's this long event, right? It just doesn't start and end. So when people say, well, this is our 9-11, well, no, 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 9-11 happened. 9-11 concluded on 9-11. Now, yes, we had ramifications that lasted for years and years after that to this day. But nobody, nobody on September 13th thought that there were going to be planes or some additional attacks happening on the U.S. People had 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 come to the point that this was a concluded event, but that's not where we're at now. And that's not where we're at with coronavirus. This is very much tracking like a Chernobyl. It happens and then it continues to get to a peak and we don't know at what point it's going to start to subside and always have some lingering effects. Like right now, these fires that are burning, right? These fires that are going on and burning the, the, these trees near Chernobyl are releasing all this radiation back into, into the air. And that was, you know, back in 1986, we're still feeling the effects of that today. In fact, people will not be able to live safely in the Chernobyl region uh, for another 155 years. 155 years from now, that'll be safe. Right, because we'll really we'll we'll hit a certain half life on, on radioactive particles and things like that, and of course there might be some remediation before then. But wow, it's just intense. So I'm going to pause here and look over in the comments. Welcome to our good friend Bacon Maldito from Bacon Comments. So yeah, Bacon um, and Red Crusader. So uh, Siren Engineering is interesting. So Red Crusader actually, I I would go online and and I would I would listen to the different types of sirens. I was kind of a, I was kind of a, a nut in studying these these different types of uh, air raid sirens and and um, the klaxons, right? And I remember um, learning that the sirens in the big cities, like New York City, 
uh, places like that. Um, these big Chrysler like powered engines, you know, these like V8, V10 engines would power these sirens. And if you held up a piece of paper outside of these air raid sirens, like 10 feet away, the, the paper would vibrate so much that it would start on fire. It burst in flames. But yeah, that's that's amazing stuff. And kind of a, an aside on that, um, I had a friend um, at, in after I graduated college, he built a house uh, in a rural area, but there were some other homes by it. And he bought a used siren, uh, military surplus a siren <laughs> from the Cold War era and put it up in his 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 neighborhood, like put it up on his property. And he used it to alert people whenever there was a storm. So kind of crazy stuff. But let's check over here in the in the chat room. Um, Philip, I remember even in the 1990s, there were drills in Germany. I was afraid of anything nuclear until I got 18. Uh, they told bullshit stories uh, beyond belief. Yeah. Yeah, well into the 1990s. Yeah, thanks thanks for that. Bacon. Um, wow, bacon. Bacon. Panic. So panicked. We got to get educated. Yep, absolutely right. Um, and okay, I'm going to I'm going to move on here. So, um, so anyway, so that's that's the thing. So Chernobyl happens in 1986. Um, and in it last, you know, we have 10 days of this massive amount of radiation coming out. 500 Hiroshima bombs, the equivalent. This is impacting um all of Russia, all of Europe eventually gets to the U.S. Again, it's an unfolding cascading event. So here's what they did. So they're like, what are we going to do with this thing? It's just like it continues to burn and burn and burn and burn. We can put water on it. But no, we really can't because water would just intensify it. We can't do water. So what they did is they thought, you know, we're going to drop sand on this thing. So they, they got helicopters. And you can see a lot of video images of this. These helicopters would fly over and they would dump sand inside of this burned out reactor. And then they also had a tunnel underneath it because they didn't want this radiation to get into the water table because that could that could disrupt huge parts, huge parts of Russia, like forever. I mean, you might not be able to live there. You might not be able to get your water, right? So these are, these are unfolding things. People are thinking about this. This is crazy stuff. But um, so they're... Th the neighboring community, like right next to it, where all of the, the workers, you know, lived and things like that. It was a town, Pripyat. Um, so Pripyat was a town of about 50,000 people, right? And it was a modern town. It was really pretty like wealthy and well-to-do um, in 1986 in Russia. They actually had an amusement park, you know, some well-stocked stores. It was a happening place. And um, anyway, you know, so, so Pripyat... The day after the explosion, um, so immediately within hours, the government is is aware. This is a significant event. We don't know how how big. Like the Russian government is like, this is big though. This is this is big stuff, and they they start to to realize we have to evacuate Pripyat. We have to get people out of there. So they're telling, you know, they're making these plans. Let's get together a thousand buses. We're going to evacuate people out of Pripyat. Wow, I mean, this is crazy, right? So, but the next day in Pripyat life kind of goes on as usual. They got seven weddings, seven weddings in Pripyat. People are shopping and stuff like that, but words getting around. It's kind of, think about the coronavirus, right? Words getting around. Yeah. I'm, I hear from my face validity checks that, you know, there's, there's more firefighters going over to the, you know, to where the reactor is. And all of a sudden, like, Hey, my friends who work in busing and transportation, like now they're assembling like a thousand buses out of town. I wonder what that's about. Stuff like this. It was 36 hours after this explosion at Chernobyl that um, the announcements were made over the PA systems right in Pripyat saying, everybody, like, you know, gather up your essential belongings, just the, the things that you need to get through for a few days and your, your identity papers, and we're going to evacuate you out of here. But don't worry, you're going to return. Everything's going to be fine. 
These people never returned. They never got back to Pripyat. It's a ghost town today. There are zero inhabitants. It's empty. But what what Russia did was they lined up a thousand buses and they had people get on and people were kind of curious. Like they're like, hey, why are you wearing a gas mask? And I'm not, you know, and why isn't the media saying anything about this? So, you know, it was it was, it was just absolutely crazy times. Um, so anyway, people, again, never return to Pripyat. It'll be 150 years before you could even live there as humans. Ironically, ironically, you can book a tour. You can book a tour of the Chernobyl nuclear complex online. You can do this. I mean, you can be there for a very short amount of time and pay a very large amount of money to do this. But of course, nobody can live there. But let's think about this now. And I have some parallels that I distinctly draw later um, in my outline here. But um, let's think about this. If we talk about coronavirus, it's something that we heard about right away. We heard about this is hitting in Wuhan, China. This is happening. This is this is big news, right? Um, and but we didn't we, we then it started to escalate more like in the US and what's going to happen in the US. And this was kind of like Chernobyl, right? People heard about it. They saw people said, God, last night, everything shook and the whole sky lit up orange when the top of reactor four blew off. This was just crazy. Right. And then they didn't really hear much more kind of life went on. Um, but they're, you know, they're hearing through the grapevine through people that they know of saying, yeah, you know, my, my brother who yeah does transportation, he's now been told to do this and whatever. And, um, and, and they were starting to confiscate the Eddie Geiger counters, radiation detectors that people had. They were, they were, you know, they were downplaying this, but, but, uh, people were picking up on this. Like if you're in Poland, you're in Scandinavia, you're nearby, you're like, why are we reading these high levels of radiation? What the hell's going on over here from, from Russia? So let me talk about, um, uh, some personal stories, some personal stories, how the Chernobyl disaster impacted me. So me again, a teenage safety doc, teenage David here living in a small town of 1500 people, more of a farming type community in central Wisconsin. So the news was scary, right? I'm, I'm, I'm hearing about this. You get to see the news now. It's not like today you don't have social media. So you really have the three channels, right? You're switching the TV between seven, nine and 11, you know, ABC, NBC, and CBS, right? Those that's kind of your news source. Um, but it, it was it was scary. It was scary because they started to show these images of these helicopters flying in Russia and and these buses taking people out. And then they started to show these these you know primitive graphics of kind of the cloud that was moving over Europe. And you started to to realize that's northern hemisphere, like that's gonna eventually move over the United States, right? That's gonna get to me, that's gonna get to us. What does that mean? And it was overwhelming. Like I remember being being overwhelmed. And what is radiation? What is this? I mean, how do you measure it? How do you see it? Like nobody in my town had a Geiger counter. I mean, that wasn't something that you had, it was all abstract, right? You didn't know. Um, so let me let me pause here, go back to the um so the chat room. Um Sir Brian Bowden, there are some really strange things uh, caught in that that area right now. He's talking about uh, the Chernobyl uh, area. Um, Sass too many said Russians uh, don't get too panicked or uh, panic much. I spent some time over there and got to know many of them. So yeah, thanks for for sharing that. I have, I have a, a friend who went to to Russia every year and it had said it took a lot to to uh, you know get people really really worked up over there. Um, and let's look. Okay. I think we're good. Cameron Sanchez. What's up, doc? Hey, thank you for showing up for this, uh, podcast, uh, this live stream. 
We have 11 thumbs up. If you can give a thumbs up, I appreciate it. Uh, that would be great. Um, and uh, uh, looking over here, uh, Philip wrote, uh, Doctor, you're so awesome. You make my day in this uncertain times. I like your beacon of competence. I like when Aaron Clary made fun of your suit. <laughs> Aaron Clary, I, I, Aaron Clary's been a, a good friend for a very long time. Um, so yeah, we have, we have a good rapport. So, but yeah. He is now up to like five podcasts a day. So that guy's just burning up the airways. But thank you so much, Philip. I, I appreciate that. Um, so so coming back, how this affected me. Um, so again, I'm a teenager. I'm, I'm reading the newspapers, uh, getting the headlines. I'm, I'm nervous about this, right? I'm nervous about Chernobyl because it happened. And then suddenly, a week or two later, the headlines start to hit where I'm at. I went to the news or, or, or I went to the library where I'm at. Remember the library? Back in the 80s, they used to have a big stick and then they would put the, the newspaper pages in between it and then they'd clamp it down so you couldn't walk out of there with a the newspaper. It was the goofiest thing. But anyway, if you remember that, put it in the chat. It's kind of funny. But I remember going to um, to our library and paging through the Duluth, Minnesota newspaper. And it was the headline on May 15th, 1986. Okay, so where I'm where I was located in Wisconsin, central central Wisconsin, we would go up to Superior Duluth a couple hour drive every summer. We'd spend time up there playing miniature golf, watching the thousand foot air, the the ore freighters come in um, through the through the locks there. It was really cool. It was, it was cool stuff. Um, but here's what the headline said in the Duluth, Minnesota Herald on May 15th, 1986. Airborne radioactivity from the Chernobyl nuclear accident is now so widespread that it is likely to fall to the ground wherever it rains in the EPA or in the United States per the EPA. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So and and then on Sundays, on Sundays, we would have the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel delivered to our door. They put it down and, and, and they'd race out there because, I mean, I loved reading all of the stuff that was, was going on and especially, you know, the, the Brewers or the Bucks, you know, basketball, baseball. And, um, and they were talking about, you know, this, this too. But so when I, when I read this in the Duluth paper, I'm like, I've been to Duluth. I know Duluth. I know it's up there. And uh, suddenly this is striking home. So there's radiation that's coming down in Duluth. What does it mean? What does it mean for me? I'm in Wisconsin. I'm two hours away. What is this radiation? I can't see it. I can't see it. My, I, we've had floods. We had a tornado. We had a tornado that got so close to our house that it ripped our steps off. Whoa. Smashed a light over here, folks. If we had Patreon or pay, PayPal, I'd be asking you to help me fund a new one right now. But, um, but anyway, you know, things like that, right? We're thinking tangible. We're, we're thinking about 1984 here in Wisconsin. Barneville, Wisconsin had an F5 tornado come through and destroyed 90% of the community. That's tangible. You can see it. You can understand it. In 2008, I stood on the levee. I stood on the levee at the Wisconsin River just about a mile from my house. And there were hundreds of people up there because there had been massive flooding. And a nearby community, several homes have been sucked into the river and pulverized and destroyed. And I stood there on the levee and I watched as water here's bobbed down the river, as people's decks, as people's possessions went down the river. But it was tangible. I could see it. It was there. It was authentic. But this wasn't. What it was radiation. You couldn't see it. How did you measure it? How did you measure it back in 1986? How did you make sense of it as a kid? And even today, what's a virus? You can't see it. You can't measure it. It doesn't make sense. It's a fire. It's a tornado. It's a flood. Those things are tangible. You can identify them. You couldn't identify this. It was overwhelming in 1986. All right, I'm going to pause over here for the chat room. 
Um, Bacon wrote, uh, radiation does not discriminate against the weak. Uh, SAS too many responded. I think that's one of the parallels to COVID-19. Uh, yeah, you're right. I didn't note that. I am going to note that uh, when I get this blog post um, out. Cameron Sanchez wrote, outside of many stores in my area, there are ropes and police set up outside, forcing everyone into lines. Wow. Um, I don't see that here yet, although the lines are definitely there. I don't see um, police forcing people into lines. So, um, so yeah, let me, let me come back. Um, so it was about the middle of May of 1986, my teachers, right? My teachers, parents, coaches and stuff, they started to talk about radiation, started to talk about Chernobyl and what this might mean, what this might mean for us in Wisconsin. And I really started to take note of that. It was, it was something that really started to drive home. So, um, but I'm going to pause right here and shift gears a little bit and then come back to, to talking more about my experiences. But so I've made some points already, right? Um, why coronavirus is similar to Chernobyl and not similar to 9-11. People are saying it's our generation's 9-11. No, it's not. It's not your generation's 9-11. This is similar. It's similar to Chernobyl. I don't like to benchmark one disaster to another, but if you're going to talk about it, it's similar to Chernobyl. Um, Chernobyl and coronavirus are both events that hit fast, right? They hit fast, but they didn't complete for months. They went on and they went on and they spread. 9-11, as horrific as that was, again, it concluded on 9-11. Two weeks later, two weeks later, the National Football League started up again, started to have home games, you know, started to have regular games. Comedians returned to the stage at that point in comedy clubs. Life in America, for the most part, Return to a self-similarity, return from chaos into a torus. We're not near that right now. Um, chaos theory illustrates that humans are quick to adapt to new similarity in a changed environment. But we're creatures, we're creatures of routine. Systems will develop. Um, when things are uncertain, though, when they become like warlike, okay, when things persist at this high level of uncertainty, like right now, you, you've just written about it, you know, uh, Cameron, you're talking about outside of stores. All of a sudden, now outside of stores, police are there. Security guards are there. They're roping things off. This is all new, right? It's all new. When things persist, when they continue to be at this level of chaos, and, it, and you, it's like, oh, I, th I think we've got to handle it. I think this is what it is. And then the next day, something different happens. It gets more wacky, more wild, okay? People don't sustain very well in that. And that's kind of, you know, Chernobyl. People started to break down. They started to mentally collapse. These systems collapsed. These, these, these huge recessions kind of took place. Now, I'm not saying this to scare you, just to say, I think we're in this situation that it's a long haul situation. So let's look at the long game. Let's look at the big, the big picture here. Um, so here, here's a really interesting um, an, uh, comparison I want to share to you. So when I did podcast 34, way back in the early days of the Safety Doc podcast, okay, but way back in 2017, I did a show um, where I, I focused on a World War II psychiatrist by the name of Dr. Apple, A-P-P-E-L. So all you got to do is check out my stuff at safetyphd.com and any way you can find episode 34. And it's all there because I do a blog post for everything, right? I link it out. But anyway, Dr. Apple's a young psychiatrist. He goes in the field with World War II soldiers at the front, on the front lines. And he's trying to figure out with these soldiers, like, what? how do you survive this? How do you not crack up? How do you not break up? And um, 
Here's actually what he found. And I think this is very important today. Nobody's talking about this. It's going to be very important for how COVID impacts us because this actually was important for how Chernobyl impacted the Ukraine, Poland, Scandinavia, Great Britain, eventually the United States. So anyway, in World War II, uh, the psychiatrist, Dr. Apple, he was studying these infantry soldiers. And, and this is what he concluded, right? He's saying, okay, they could survive a maximum, a maximum of 238 days um, before one of three things would happen, okay? One of three things would happen. Here's the deal. One of three things. Here were the three things. One, they'd be a physical casualty. They'd die, right? They'd die. Two, they'd become a prisoner of war. Three, they'd have a psychiatric breakdown that they would collapse. But he came up with this term, finite voltage. Finite voltage. Think about it right now. Finite voltage, right? All of us, we have a finite voltage, meaning we can only stay in this state of chaos for so long where everything is changing the context and situation, which it is now, because every day we hear, well, this is going to be closed longer, or now you have to wear a mask, or there's this restriction, or these services will close, or here's who's essential, who's not essential. This is all unfolding, right? It's kind of like, again, Chernobyl. Things unfold over time. But we know that soldiers who were prepared for this, who, who knew that this is what they were going to encounter, on average, 238 days, not on average, two, 238 days was the max that you could survive in this state of perpetual chaos. So these are soldiers. What does it mean for the rest of us? This is a, We got to think about this. We got to think about what does that mean for the rest of us? How long do we keep it together before people start having breakdowns and doing crazy stuff and wild stuff because we are similar to the situation of kind of being in this frontline chaos right now because this situation hasn't stabilized out. Just like Chernobyl, there were a lot of people who had, had, had breakdowns who do really crazy stuff during, during Chernobyl in Europe and also in Russia and even people in the United States and uh, global markets were very unsettled. Again, not to say this to freak everybody out, but I'm saying this because we are not going to be the 238-day people. None of us are. None of us are. We're not going to be that. Um, we're 30 days into this. How long can we go before we start to see people around us start to come apart at the seams? All right. And I say this because I think we need to be really aware of our parents, of our friends, of our member checks, our face validity, like my good friend um, Brian Bowden there in the Bronx in New York City, checking in with people. What's authentically happening in your setting? How are you doing? When I talk to people right now, the first thing that I ask them is, how are you doing today? How are you doing? And we need to ask those questions. We need to affirm people. We need to be very um, supportive of people because this is, it's very psychologically hard. And I've studied this, right? I've studied this. This is my doctoral research and ongoing in chaos theory. If something happens and concludes, you know, if it's, you know, a, a 9-11, a Murrah building bombing, something like that, or even a hurricane comes through, it's done right? We're not there though. If something continues to change this environment of chaos, like right now, what we have with the coronavirus, what we had with Chernobyl, it's very hard to make decisions and plan during that. Right now I'm teaching a class of, of school administrators and, and they've been asking me nonstop, um, what should we do right now? I said, it's a, that's hard for me to respond to that. And I don't want to put down a, a game plan for you because things could be different tomorrow. What if we have something come out from the state that says, like Michigan, you can't travel between residences? What if that happens? 
you know, what if some other things, you know, come out for, for orders or some curfews or some different prioritizing of resources saying you're not going to be able to get, you know, so much electricity or internet or whatever. I don't know. I said, so I, I, I can't give you definite answers because this is a real fluid state up here. Like, I don't know what this is. There's no footing for this yet. Let's look over in the chat room. Um, Cameron says, I've been getting lots of Amber alerts for staying inside. I have Cameron. Thanks for sharing that. I haven't gotten that. I've, I've been, um, curious though, because, you know, we had the government alert. You could come, you know, the president could issue the government alert and we never had that happen, but I I've been kind of surprised. We haven't been getting those type of alerts on our cell phone, but thanks for, for sharing that. Could you put your location at least, you know, maybe like a state or region? Um, um, uh, Brian Bowden posted, uh, we are extremely close to the event horizon of getting crazy from beyond, uh, from being locked in. And Brian, I think you're right. I was on, um, the masculine geek, uh, podcast. I, I wasn't on, but I was, I was in the chat room, masculine geek, and, and they had a really deep discussion of when do we get to a tipping point for people? When do people start to say, I'm just going to go out and, you know, live my life and not adhere to, to these regulations. Um, and I thought we were pretty close to that. Like, I think right now, you know, last night I said, I think we're 72 hours away. I think when we get to Easter, when we get to Sunday, if people are trying to drive into, to, to church and in Kentucky, for example, then the governor is saying, we're going to take down your license plate number. <laughs> and if you try to pull in here, you know, you're going to be quarantined for 14 days and it's going to be mandatory. Um, you know, what is that going to look like? How is that going to unfold? So yeah, I think, I think this tension is getting up there, but Again, one of the things with tension is we have a discussion like this. If we understand chaos, we understand face validity, what's happening before us, we can function well. We can buy ourselves more days, right? Psychologically, I talked about that study that psychiatrist Dr. Apple did, you know, that frontline soldiers in World War II, a maximum of 238 days before they either have been killed, they become a prisoner of war, or they had a mental collapse. We can buy ourselves more days. We can position ourselves better to get through this. Um, so let's, let's move on, you know, so again, this whole thing of finite voltage, that's a term we're going to talk about today. People at Chernobyl, you know, a finite voltage bef before they started to, you know, in, in Pripyat and, and in areas, Poland, you know, Scandinavia, it was, it was about 30 days, um, was a finite voltage before we really started to see people with despair, economic uh, struggles, collapses, people, um, very expressing high concerns of, can I eat the food? Can I eat the corn that I've been growing because it rained and now is radiation on the corn? I don't know. Do I have to wash my, my clothes because I've been out? I don't know. I don't know. And people really becoming nervous. So we're getting close to that point. Um, and I think if we get to a hundred days, we've got to be very aware of the actions of people around us, because I think that's when people will start to make decisions that aren't going to be based in rationality. Again, it's really hard. It's like a Rick and Morty universe, right? It's like every moment Rick's clicking off and Rick and Morty are off into another universe. And most of us, we can't handle that type of, of hopping. We, we have to have things settle down and things aren't. I mean, every day I'm going on our local news. I'm doing my member checks. And I'm hearing things are changing like Cameron just shared. Well, now police are, are, um, you know, about Chernobyl and how those things um, resemble the uh, the coronavirus. Okay, so here's something I was told. I was told back in 1986, right? 
I'm a teenager. My God, you don't want to be telling a teenager this, but I was told, I was told Dave, Dave, you know, we might have to, we might have to avoid the rain. If it rains, the radioactive particles come down, it gets on you. It's really bad. Rain, the radioactive rain causes cancer. Cancer causes death. Well, I know cancer causes death, right? Any kid knows that. Your teenager, okay, cancer, death, that's bad. That's bad. Radiation, I can't see it. I can't smell it. I can't taste it. I have nothing to measure it with. You know, those existed, but who in the world had a Geiger counter, right? They just didn't have it. So, um, so anyway, like that's what I'm thinking, but what is happening right now? What's happening right now? People are being told, limit your time, limit your time outside, right? Because if you're outside, there's a chance you're going to interact with, with others. People are told, you know, being told, don't go to, to a, a beach because the, the ocean can kick up when the waves come in, it can kick up the coronavirus, right? So similar to Chernobyl, you know, being told, say, hey, stay inside. The radioactivity is outside. It's not going to be so much inside. Being told, wash your clothes. I remember that. I remember I had a nice red and white baseball jersey because I played for county concrete baseball team. And I remember um, being told, hey, you know, when we get done with, with games and practice, make sure you wash your jersey, not because it's all sweaty and stinky, right? Because, um, no, make sure you get the radiation off of it because, yeah, you know, we're out in the field and there's probably radiation out there. This is Wisconsin, but this Chernobyl radiation was all over the Midwest, all over the Northern Hemisphere. It was measured everywhere, everywhere. All of us, all of us were impacted by this, everyone, everyone in America. So, yeah, I remember being told, wash your hands, wash your clothes. It was because of the radiation. That was in 1986, folks. Um, our baseball coach, I remember this, Lenny, our baseball coach, Lenny, who had been through World War II, Lenny, who owned a bar downtown. And if we won and we did a lot, we'd all walk down there. You couldn't go in the bar as a kid, but Lenny would sneak out in the back with all of his candy bars and stuff that he sold. And he'd always give us candy bars after games. If you know, we, we won, he's a great, great coach, great guy. But anyway, Lenny said, Hey guys, you know, we've got, we, we might have radioactive particles in the grass and in the field. So yeah, just make sure you're not putting your hands in your, your, your face a lot. Don't do that. Don't do that. And when you're done here, wash up and yeah. And there's really only the water fountain to wash up on, but that should work, right? That should work. So what's similar in this, right? Well, I mean, wash the stuff away, wash the stuff away and that nobody really knew what was going on. We couldn't see what was going on. I mean, as a kid, I'm like, I don't know. It looks like a baseball field to me. I mean, it was one block from my house and I had to cross a railroad track to get there. It was one block literally from my house. I could see it from my driveway, the, ba uh, the baseball field. But this is what we were being told. What the hell? It didn't make any sense because you couldn't see it. It wasn't tangible. It's really hard for a kid, but you know, but you look up to the adults. They knew. He knew. They knew. Um, let's go back to the chat room. Um, uh, Brian Bowden uh, wrote um, that he's saying 30 days uh, more uh, and people are going to start challenging that stay-at-home order. I, th I think so. And I, I'm going to base that, Brian, off of that the, the study that Dr. Apple did and subsequent studies, you know, saying how long people last under stressful situations that continue to change, which we're in right now, that, that there's going to be a breaking point for a, a large number of people. Sass Too Many wrote, already happening here with many family members, too much stuff all at once. I went through a divorce. So I'm, I'm pretty indestructible. So Sass Too Many, last night, one of my friends was con contacted me and he said, Dave, um, we're the same age. My parents, he said, Dave, my parents are going out 
and they're shopping in other communities. They're, they're, they're meeting up with people and they're, they're just saying, I'm going to live my life. I'm just going to do this stuff. I'm not going to be a prisoner anymore because of these orders. And what do I do? You know, what do I do to, what, how do I tell them to stay safe? And I'm like, there's not much you can really do. I mean, if you can, you can put out there, you know, you're at risk of a population and so forth. But again, I mean, people, when you're 80 years old, um, you know, if you want to go out and do some fishing at this time, I guess I'm not going to tell you, you know, you shouldn't do that. Right. Um, uh, the Mallory report, um, Jim's saying, um, yeah, we were all told 30 days or April. So here's what, here's one thing. So, so what Jim Mallard, the Mallory report wrote. So when this initially came out, right. When these, these closures are suspending of things, right. Suspending of things. Whenever you see the term suspending come out, we're going to suspend something, you know, for 30 days or something that usually means it's going to last a lot longer. But if we actually told you it's going to be closed, schools are going to be closed for the rest of the year. People be like, Oh my God, I don't know what to do. Like they'd be rocked off in the chaos, but if they can handle, if you say, you know, we're going to suspend things for like three weeks. But the reality is they knew at the moment they made those decisions. We're not opening up again. Vegas, there's no way Vegas opens up for another 6, 12 months, right? It's all kind of suspended. And then when you get close to the end, you say, oh, we'll extend it another 30 days, another 15 days. It's just a way to, to get people a little bit further down the road. Um, so let's see. Uh, Bull Rush wrote, thanks, Bull Rush, for, for showing up. Hey, and I appreciate you last night on Masculine uh, Geek. Uh, Bull Rush was, was a guest on, on that show. Um, did anyone think of buying a Geiger counter from Radio Shack to check local radiation levels? So it's interesting. Yeah, Radio Shack. We used to have one in my town here. It's gone. But uh, I've got a story about, about Geiger counter here in a little bit. Let me get to it right now. So it, it was my science teacher. Is was, was our science teacher. It, until our science teacher in my town of 1,500 people in 1986, our science teacher pulls out this Geiger counter, right? And, and here he is, and he has this Geiger counter, all right? And he's, he's going around, and he's like, this detects radioactive isotopes. I'm like, what the hell is an isotope? I don't know. So these are particles in the air. It's radiation. And, and all of a sudden, he turned it on. It would go click, 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 click. We went outside. We went outside. I remember going outside, and we were walking around, and it clicked more. And it clicked more, and he said, that's more. It's more. There's always some, Dave. There's always some coming through with uh, the solar system, the radiation, it's always there. It would always click. So don't worry about that, but it's clicking more than, than it usually does. You know why? Chernobyl, right? Yeah, Dave, Chernobyl, Chernobyl. And guess what? Right next to my, my school, massive cheese factory, they're processing all this cheese. It's going out to everybody. Is that radioactive? Does that have radioactive isotopes? In it? I don't know. But anyway, that's when it became real for me because he's, got this thing and it's clicking it's making these static clicks and i'm i'm just kind of terrified by this because that's radiation that's detecting i can't see it i can't smell it but it's there it's there so all of a sudden we we start to hear these things in mid-may of, of of 1986 as a teenager you know what we're not we're not sure about the baseball season we're not sure i don't know if we can have it i don't know guys that we can have it len's telling us you know I'm not sure i can set you guys up at the can i'm not sure we can have a season because if this stuff's on the field, I don't know if we can do it. How do we get rid of it? I don't know. There's no, how do we, I don't know how we get rid of it. I don't, it just maybe takes time. Are we going to have a season next year? I don't know. I don't know, Dave. It was, and it's confusing testing, right? It's kind of like this whole virus thing. How do you test people? How do you test if people have been exposed to radiation? How do you know? I wasn't tested. My family wasn't tested. People weren't tested. The only Geiger counter in our town was the science teacher. He had this old one that he brought out and he was running it around 
outside of campus and the little little tick tick ticks are happening. These radiation clouds, I don't know. How do you tell if there's radiation in a cloud? So it's kind of like, again, the virus. We didn't know. We didn't know how this spread. It was nebulous. It was it, how long does radiation last? 1986, those questions are coming. I'm asking, asking my parents. They don't know. I don't know, Dave. I don't know. It could last a long time. It could be could be years for this stuff to get a half-life where it's I don't know where it's safe. I don't know. How will it get worse? It, I don't know. It could, Dave. It could. It's still coming out of the plant. They don't have it controlled. If this it, it could actually burn through and there could be more of this. This could get much worse before it gets better. Oh my God, you're kidding, right? Well, is it gonna go away when it gets winter, when it snows here? Will it go away? Man, it might, but Maybe you'll come back in spring when everything heats up again, or if there's a there's a fire and it burns up the trees and all of the stuff that had absorbed the radiation in the brush and suddenly it's putting it back out. These are all things that we were being told back in 1986, things that right now are very similar with COVID. Is it going to come back in fall? I don't know. Maybe it could. Do we have to cancel our seasons? Well, some of you are. They're already canceled. They're canceling the 4th of July parades already. Now, it didn't get quite to that level, obviously, in the U.S. in 86, but those things were all on deck. They were all on deck. Every time you stepped outside, my mom said, hey, keep your shoes out there. Keep them in the garage. Keep them in the garage. Don't bring them in the house. We don't need radiation in the house. Guess what? They're hearing on the news, right? Take your shoes. There's a way to stay. Take your clothes off. Take a shower because that kept the radiation away. Oh, my God. So also, food and water. So this is what we're hearing back in 1986. This is what we're hearing. My brother's older than I am. He kind of levels with me. He's like, here's the deal, Dave. You know, so this is your older brother doing this, right? He's like, here's the deal. The wheat fields, the corn fields in Kansas and Oklahoma, all that. It's all shit. Like it's all radiated. It's all bad stuff. Like we might, there might not be food. There might not be food. So here's the deal. Like, you know, we're going to be planting gardens, you know, grandma and grandpa on the other part of town. They've already been doing this. And this is just, this is just a deal. Like I'm just telling you, I'm like, holy Christ, really? Like this could happen. This could happen. Um, also reading articles, radiation can work its way in the, into the ground water, right? It can work its way in. And then how does that, how does that get out? How do you do that? What, what are we going to drink? How do you drink water if it's radiated? Is it safe? I mean, how does, how does this work? Does our city have some machine to take this out? And they didn't, right? They didn't. Nobody did. Nobody knew about this. Um, my mom was canning Foods. Oh my God. I remember this. The summer of 86, my mom, the summer of 86, my mom was canning everything that could be canned for God's sakes. Everything you could, everything you could can, you know, pickles, uh, carrots, chicken, whatever you could can. She was canning it. Okay. And downstairs, I talked about it earlier, downstairs in our bomb shelter of 18 inch reinforced concrete with this big door that you have to crank to handle on this, this, shock door to get through inside of that there were shelves and those shelves were packed with canned goods you know things that my mom had, had canned herself and i remember she put these things out on the countertops and you'd hear them go pop 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 and every time they did that that was good because then it meant it it, it cured it put the lid up and then you could store it away but the reason she's doing that the reason she's doing all of this stuff is because she's she's hearing through the news she's hearing from her friends She's reading in the paper. There might not be food in fall. There might not be cereal. There might not be Wheaties because it's got radioactive particles and you can't sell it. The farmers, the milk might be radiated. The cows might be, they're exposed to radiation. Maybe we have all that. Maybe 
this is what you got to do. You got to buy yourself time. You got to, you got to protect your family. And she can like crazy. There was no, there was no space on the countertop at my house. There was no space. It was just bottle after bottle, those Mason jars, just bottle after bottle after bottle. And I remember that and it didn't quite sink in, you know, I'm thinking, and I just would go downstairs in that, in that room, that bomb shelter. And the only reason to go in there was just storage, but suddenly it just became this, this secondary pantry and all of this food. And we had a sump pump in our basement. We had our sump pump. I don't know. So our, 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 we would have water that would, would work its way into the basement, a sump pump. There's a hole in the basement. It would, it would, it would trigger, it would fill up and it would, it would do a float, would trigger a switch and it would pump this stuff out. And I remember, I remember my dad said, you know what? If we have to, we can drink from the sump pump. We can drink water from the sump pump because it's just, it's filtered from the outside. Anyway, it comes in. It's kind of like how farmers do it in the country and things like that. You've gone out to your friend, Jesse's right. You've taken the country water from the well. This is the same thing, David. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I remember, oh my God, I won't be drinking from the sump pump. And then, um, it, something changed for me, but let me, let me just take a break here. Sir Brian Bowden, iodine pills. Yeah. I remember we had salt on the table at uh, every meal in, in 86, and uh, it was iodized salt, right? Hey, put a little salt. Put a little salt on that. Put a little salt on that. Why? Because it's iodine. So your thyroid doesn't absorb the radiation. That's what they're being told by the newspaper, by the three channels, ABC, NBC, and you know, flipping the channels. Salt. Do the salt. Iodine. Um so let's go in. Philip uh, wrote, uh, there was zero knowledge about radiation in that time. So many myths, fear, hope, but no calculations. Remember, radiation would not travel that far. Yeah. So again, Philip, I'm going, great point. Great point. Thank you for bringing that up. And again, I'm going based upon what I experienced, you know, in, in 86 as a teenager and the information that we had um, in, in telling this, this story. And I think it also goes with... Um, Again, paralleling this out to what we're what we're hearing right now, we're hearing a lot of things about you know how long the coronavirus um, can persist on things, um, how far it can go, and some of this is objectively identified, and some of it isn't. I mean, some of it is conjecture. We don't we don't know all of that yet. But yeah, thanks thanks for bringing that up. Um, Red Crusader wrote, we, um, "You are young. It's easier to normalize uh, something new if you're younger." Yeah, absolutely right. I didn't, I didn't know any better. I didn't have anything to compare it to. I, I, it was my brother who was 10 years older, who started to give me some perspective on, on what was, what was probably coming down. And then uh, Philip also wrote, there were 11,000 um, atom bomb tests since 1956. So way worse than Pripyat. So yeah, in the big picture, and these are things I didn't know, right? Because I'm, I, you know, I'm a, uh, again, a young, a young kid in 86, a teen, I didn't know about the radiation tests that were taking place. Like, you know, places such as Nevada, Bikini Island, stuff like that. But, but it, so anyway, we, we have the sump pump in our basement and, and ever since my dad then had told me that, you know, we might, we, we can drink water from that. Don't worry about it. Um, every time at night it would click on like every 30 minutes it would, it would click on and then it would run for, you know, maybe 45 seconds and it would, it would suck the water out of the pit and, you know, out, out of the house and stuff like that. Um, every time I heard that. It was unsettling, right? It was a reminder. It was a reminder that, oh my God, like I'm, I'm, I might be drinking out of that thing. Like if this gets really bad, like we're going to, that's my water source. And it was just this reminder for me. And that's the thing right now is what is, what are people's reminders? 
when people go to Walmart and if, if there's, you know, in a year or two and there's an entrance blocked off, is this now a reminder for, oh my God, I remember, you know, the coronavirus going through the one side, not that this is all just devastating, but these routines, it's going to bring you back to this point right now, this uncertainty, this point in chaos where we're at, what are people's triggers going to be? Um, let me move on here. My grandfather, my grandfather, uh, awesome guy. Like, you know, he lived, uh, lived a few houses up from us. Um, and I've talked about him before in shows. I, I helped them build a garage back in, back in the eighties, but, uh, my grandfather, um, you know, so he used to fish. We had a river that went through our hometown and he always go down and he'd be fishing, pulling out fish and he had a smokehouse in the back of his garage, a smokehouse. He'd be smoking fish and he'd, he'd give us a smoke fish. Oh my God, it was good. I mean, it was great. It was good stuff. He lived off the land. He was always, you know, deer hunting, making sausage, whatever. Grew up as a depression type guy. And I started to ask questions. I'm like, can we eat the fish? Can we eat the fish that grandpa's giving us because of smoke, but the smoke the fish get rid of the radiation i don't know can we get sausage i don't know um is is it safe should grandpa even be out there i don't know so you know the questions like right now we ask how do we know that food's safe to eat how do we know that we got the virus off of food well back in 86 it was kind of like how do we know we got the radiation off of food if we washed it was that getting the radiation off we didn't have a hell of a lot of guidance coming out um you know, let's talk about goods. So I remember my brother, again, 10 years older than I am. You know, my, my, my brother sits down with me back in 86, you know, and this, this stuff's on the news, like it's big stuff, you know, like Dan rather, whatever, like here's, here's what's happening in Chernobyl and there's radiation clouds coming across the U.S. And holy God, you better be ready. And my brother, my brother's having this like one-on-one talk with me and he's like, hey, here's the deal. He's like, I don't know if we're going to be able to get like shoes and stuff like that. You know, like the Nikes back then, you know, stuff, the early stuff. I don't know, man. I don't know. This could all be shut down, right? If there's radiation, who's going to be traveling? Who's going to be doing this? So like, just like, you know, we're going to be, have to be really prepared to be in the self-sufficient mode. It's okay. Like things will get better. And this is a talk like my brother typically didn't have with me. Like he's, you know, this, this is, so I'm kind of like, Oh God, like really dude, like really this could happen. This could, this could happen, but still like I'm a teen, like, I'm like, nah, I'm still going to get it. I'm still going to get my Nikes. I'm still going to do the stuff that I need to. I was going to get my records, right? The mall's not going to close. Will they? I still get my 45 records. Like I'm good, but I had me thinking, I talked to my friends, talking to my friend, Gerald. What do you think about this, man? He's like, I don't know. I don't know, man. This could happen. I guess it could, it could happen. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Let's go back in the chat room. Um, Cameron Sanchez, how did the pace of events compare between Corona and Chernobyl? Uh, that's really good. It's a great, great question. And I, I, I wrote about that in, in the blog post. Um, so far, the events um, are, are pretty, as far as the timeline, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty close. Okay. So like, if you think about the Pripyat evacuation in 36 hours, that's similar to like Wuhan being shut down totally. Pripyat, Russia, which is right outside of Chernobyl. Um, 36 hours after they just sh- they moved everybody out and permanently got people out of there. It's it's kind of similar to Wuhan, but then if you look how that unfolded over um, Poland, Scandinavia, Great Britain, all of Europe, over the next few weeks um, to months, it's kind of similar now um, to, to to kind of what we're experiencing. But that that is a good timeline. The thing is. Um, I, I think part of what, what we're also seeing right now with Corona is, will this, will this come back, right? Will this come back? This is the question. Will it come back in fall? 
And, you know, there's a lot of people saying yes. And there's a probability. And that was the thing with Chernobyl. They were like, when we, when they put the sand on Chernobyl, like they dumped the sand and then the, the, what boron and stuff like that into it, that was a temporary fix. Like that wasn't a long-term solution. Like just in the last couple of years, I completed that massive concrete shell over it, which is supposed to last, I don't know, a couple centuries and they got to address it again. But that was a temporary fix like that. And there was nothing to say, like it wasn't going to start like going crazy again and just spewing tons of radiation out. And then what the hell do they do? Right. So this was like, it's kind of where we're at now. It's like, it was kind of, they're flattening the curve. So I would say it's pretty close to where we're at. Now, the thing is the big difference of course, is social media and the, and the pace of information and the fact that information is state controlled, right? The U S was very reluctant to give out a lot of information um, because, you know, it, it, it was a proponent back in the 80s of nuclear energy, right? That we had nuclear power plants coming online all over the place. Duke Energy in, in the U.S., GE was a big manufacturer of, of components for nuclear reactors. So you wanted to be really guarded with what you were saying in the media because people, how they would invest in things like that, how they would perceive nuclear energy. So, um, so it's a little bit different, you know, it, well, it's a lot different in that regard is, is the velocity of information. But I think we're seeing, again, we're looking at this as a big thing. I'll go back to 9-11. 9-11, which I wrote about in my book, School of Errors, Rethinking School Safety in America, hard copy, 30 bucks, or you can get it a lot cheaper in um, Kindle, right? Um, but yeah, it's a good book. With first chapter, how thinking about a bagel can get you through the worst day of your life. And then um, also a chapter of, of transitioning into chaos. But um, but again, nine 11 concluded in one day, nine 11 concluded in one day, you know, on, on September 12th, people didn't expect that we would get attacked again. We also had very tangible physical signs of, of perceived safety, which was, you know, military, um, equipment off of our coast. You know, the airplanes have been, have been, um, you know, put down, but, um, so, Anyway, so my brother, he's telling me in 86, he's like, you know, get ready. Like, we might not have things. So if we go shopping, we might not have things. We might not have the shoes. We might not have the other stuff. That's what we're hearing now, right? We're hearing. We might not, you might not be able to get these things. What are essential? What is Amazon going to prioritize? Like, I just ordered a microphone. My God, it said it'll be here June 5th. What is Amazon? What are people going to prioritize? What are things that you just won't get anymore? What are things that stores just won't carry, right? Because we're hearing some states saying we're going to identify what is essential in a store. And certain things won't be essential in a store anymore. Maybe like toys, stuff like that. Who knows? I mean, these these things could happen. So um, we also, so we had a brace, you know, for disease and death. That was something too. We, you know, that conversation was was coming up. My parents had that conversation. They were saying, you know, if this gets bad and here here's something, oh my God, it's kind of freaky to think about. I still have this card somewhere. We went to our neighboring communities, 15 minutes away. It was a community of 35,000 people. And I, I didn't understand this at the time, right? I didn't understand this, but here's why we went. We went to this community and um, we went to the medical center and they they took our picture and we got it like a credit card. It was a credit card, but it was a heavy plastic. It was a real heavy plastic. There was a chip on it about half the size of a postage stamp, a chip, like a microchip. Now, this is like 1986. But what this was, it was a microfilm chip. It had all of our medical information on it. I'm like, hmm, this is interesting. What, what's this all about? It's just something we have to do. Don't worry about it. It's just something, all the whole family is doing it. 
if something happens, we have to go to the hospital. It's all there. All this information is there. They put it under like a microscope and you know, the, the, the libraries have this microfiche is the same type of system. What it was, what it was is they were told, my parents were told, they were told, get this information available now, because if everybody comes down with radiation poisoning at the same time, we, we, we don't have time to gather this information. We don't have time to put this together. We're going to give you these cards now. So if you have to be uh, admitted to a hospital or to a field site or whatever, we can get this information. That's what that was. That's what that was in 86. I still have that card. And it's absolutely terrifying to think about that. And I didn't know they, they knew, they knew they didn't, they didn't, didn't level with me on that. And there really wasn't the reason that they had to do that at that point. Um, but, um, but yeah, I still, I still have, I still have that card with that, that little microfiche chip in it. Let's go over to the chat room. Uh, Philip wrote, we were so afraid of anything nuclear that we we're scared of the command and conquer the game. It was an example of fear because of not knowing. Yeah, absolutely, Philip. Um, I mean, when I when I grew up, I remember watching on the news that um, so there was some American kid who went over to Russia, like in kind of this exchange thing, like a kid goes to Russia for three weeks and a Russian kid comes to the U.S. And, you know, of course, this kid that goes to Russia, they're showing him all the great things about Russia and whatever. But I'm like, oh, my God, like if I was ever asked to do that, I'd be terrified. Like, oh, my God, I don't want to go to Russia. Like, it's this evil place. It's this horrifying and all of this stuff. And yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Philip also wrote, uh, we had Geiger counters till 1983 in the grocery stores. That's interesting stuff because, um, back in the, back in 86, what, it, what the grocers were told is you might not be getting your, your Wheaties, your grains, your things like this. Now up in superior Duluth, which I talked about before, they have huge grain bins for these, these companies and you wouldn't be able to get your grain in or you'd have to, you know, toss that stuff because it'd be radioactive. That was the fear. That was a fear going on. Um, so, yeah, you'd, you'd be checking things for, you know, if they were if they were radioactive or not. Um, Sass Too Many wrote, I grew up during duck and cover and didn't uh, really get too excited. I was in, in, enthralled by the news, um, but it didn't affect my life in 86 so yeah, and my, my parents, like my mom grew up during the duck and cover, right? Where they would they would do the air raid siren and you'd have to get under your desk and as World War II in, in case they attacked. Um, Bacon wrote, we interrupt this podcast for a following PSA. Did you know Dr. David Proden, leading safety expert, wrote a book on school safety. It's available on Amazon. Here it is. Thank you, Bacon. Yeah, School of Airs. And um, yeah, it's in, it's in a lot of libraries too, which are all closed right now. Nobody can get to, right? But um, yeah, it's a hard copy, 200 pages. I write a lot about uh, chaos theory, managing yourself, um, helping others through chaos. It's really well done. It's really a good book, folks. It came out in August. So yeah, um, yeah just check it out. Um, so let me go back um, here because you know we're getting up to, to kind of our wrap up. Um, so face validity. So face validity is really hard right now from a direct standpoint, right? How do we measure a virus? How do we measure radioactivity? If, if it is, if it's a tornado, right? We can actually see the clouds. We can see the tornado. If it's a fire, we can see that. We can see the smoke. We can smell the smoke. We can sense the smoke. If it's Mount St. Helens in 1980, the ash covers our car when we go out in the morning and we have to wipe it off. But we can't do that with a virus. We can't do it with radioactivity. So face validity gets hard. It's secondary. We have to do things like Brian and I do. We talk about what do you see, what do you see on the store shelves in New York City? 
what are the gas prices by you? Are the parks closed by you? Um, what else is, is coming out with these, these types of things that we have to take a secondary face validity. And that's where I, again, I encourage all of you get on the phone or, or, you know, get in direct contact with your friends and family at different parts of the country. I do this on a regular basis and say, what is happening by you? I didn't do that in 86. I didn't have any of those connections. I only knew what was happening in my small city of 1500 people. that didn't even have a stoplight. I only knew that. But you have the ability to check in with all these other people and to get this information of authentically what is happening around them. So, hey, I said I'd wrap up at 10. So let me get to my, my conclusion points here on how the coronavirus is similar to Chernobyl. But before I do that, if you haven't done the thumbs up, please uh, do that. I appreciate that. Um, the show has been gaining traction. So if you haven't subscribed, consider subscribing, clicking the subscribe button. If not, uh, share that with somebody. Um, out there, I would appreciate that. Um, and, and yeah, again, you know, this is the 129th podcast of the safety doc show. So anyway, so conclusions, how coronavirus is similar to Chernobyl one Chernobyl and the coronavirus are rapid onset disasters that remained in progress in progress. Okay. When people say this is our nine 11, no nine 11 was a day. It was a day and it was over. It was horrific. It was horrible. And there were consequences afterwards, but we did not expect to get attacked on September 12th. That's not what's happening now. So Chernobyl is a good way to give people some context. And also, if you talk about it that way, we got through Chernobyl, like we got through that. It took time. We got through that. We'll get through this. It'll take time. Um, again, September, uh, September 11th was, was a relatively short shock to the, to the systems of the United States. Two weeks, the professional sports leagues suspended, and then they started after that. Um, you know, the stock market was shut down temporarily. Comedians, um, you know, two weeks, they, they took off, then they came back. I remember Jerry Seinfeld, you know, coming back on stage and just saying, this is awkward for me. I don't know what to say, but I know comedy is part of, part of America, part of what we do. Um, Number two, radiation and a virus, okay? Radiation and a virus, they're both invisible. It's, it's a different psychological construct to battle a fire or a flood because you can see a fire, you can see a flood. When I went out on the levee, when, our, when that community next to us had the devastating floods and homes fell into the river and were broken up and, and I'm on the levee and I'm taking pictures of people's homes coming down the river, what's left of them. That's tangible. You can make sense of that. But when you're fighting this, it's like fighting a ghost, right? It's like Zach Bagans on ghost adventures, but without any type of detective device, I guess, except maybe a coronavirus test and who knows how effective, you know, a test is and a Geiger counter. I mean, who knows who, who has things like that? I mean, so, so we're fighting something we can't see. We're dealing something with something we can't see. We go outside. There's nothing different outside. We don't see it. We don't see a cloud of smoke. We don't see that. We don't smell anything differently. So it's really hard. There's a whole different psychological aspect to this, folks. There's a whole different psychological aspect. Number three, in addition, both these events, coronavirus and Chernobyl, um, they, they had an onset, but then they built to a peak. They hit a crescendo. It's not like a Murray City bombing when, boom, you know, there's a detonation and the building is, is destroyed. Or 9-11, which basically kind of had like a six-hour window of, of absolute terror. This is something it onsets in Wuhan, starts to spread across Europe, hits the US. So we get this and it moves over. Let me go over, um, over to the, the chat room. 
Um, Bullrush wrote, uh, GE still makes nuclear reactors. Uh, many in subs and aircraft carriers reacted. Fukushima was GE made. Yeah. Actually, in, in part of, yeah, the reactor um, in Chernobyl um, had many, many flaws, uh, by the way. But yeah, it's crazy. But anyway, um, yeah. Um, so anyway, these are these invisible things are really hard. How do you explain it to kids? Like again, I'm the eighty, I'm the nineteen eighty six year old version of me, the teenager. I'm like, I don't know what radiation is. I can't see it. I don't know what it is. We only have one thing that can measure, it and it just ticks. Um, point number four: as these events were corralled, right? The Chernobyl incident was corralled because they dumped sand and boron basically into what was left of this reactor, and it, it neutralized it to some extent. It's, you know, still giving off radiation to this day. It's it, it's covered in this big concrete dome. Um, but it's never eradicated, right? It's 180 years, roughly 150, 80, depending on what you like, that you could even live close to Chernobyl, right? That that area would even be inhabitable by humans. Like it's inhabitable by wolves and things like that. Deer, they're doing well. But um, so the thing is, you're going to, you can, you, you can't eradicate this. You can't eradicate the coronavirus, right? What it, it could come back. There could be a vaccine, who knows how effective that would be if this mutates. So this is a weird concept. You know, again, on 9-11, that was done. And we moved on. We, we, we absorbed that. And we moved on. But this is different. Chernobyl, it lingers. And it can come back at any time. This radiation right now in Chernobyl. Check out the news. Right now, they're having wildfires around Chernobyl, burning up the trees and putting more radiation into the environment. That's going to come across the U.S., it's not going to be the same impact of what we experienced back in 86, but this is, these things linger, they're there. They don't conclude. So it's better to talk about coronavirus as something that is that is gradually unfolding, will hit a crescendo, but is not going to be eradicated, something that can come back. Not something we should be terrified or fearful about, but it's not this event that has, it's a one and done. It's just not that. Um And uh, hey, man, I think that's it. I think I actually only had four points. Well. I guess that's all I have. So anyway, um, let me go through the the chat room quick. Um, Bullrush wrote, someone needs to make a Geiger counter for bullshit. <laughs> Watch it peg out when politicians speak. Yeah, with, it would always be over on the side. Ding, 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 ding. Um, yeah, Red Crusader. Yeah, it's cool to have the internet community to do that. Uh, safety deck. Yeah, so you, you're right, Red. I mean, today we have the ability to do the member checking in. And again, if we just go to the headlines, here's what I do. I do my local headlines, my local channel 3000 out of Madison, Wisconsin. And then I go to CNN because the local ones, you know, it's bad news, right? <laughs> and then CNN is more bad news, but nationwide. And then I go to the Drudge Report, which is bad news worldwide. And of course, I'm an intelligent consumer of this stuff. I don't let it, you know, just overwhelm me, but I, I kind of sample some of these different things. But then what I do is I, I get on with Brian Bowden in the Bronx in New York City and say, Brian, you know, tell me about the last time you, you went out yesterday, you went out shopping, what'd you see? What happened? Or, you know, my friend Hector in, in Texas. Hey, Hector, you know what? Yeah, you were, you were, this is what you saw? This is what, this is what happened? Good. Okay. Or, you know, um, Jim, Pennsylvania, and, and just other people, Joe in, in Santa Barbara, people who can authentically tell you not what they see on their news, right? Not what you see on your news. This is what I saw on my news, Dave. Now, I don't want to hear what you saw on your news. I don't really care about that. What did you, what did you see when you actually went out? When you, when you did your walk today or did you run? What, what did you see? What did you see? So that's the thing. Face validity. And face validity, we talked about those days. Remember, 238 days before you kind of like collapse on the front lines during times of chaos? 
you can add days to that with face validity member checks. All of us right now listening to this, whether it's you, whether it's your parents, older people, you know, younger people, you know, if you do validity, I do this with my daughters. I, I put them in the car. We drove around and said, here's when this first started happening because they're hearing all this stuff. Oh, God, I can't come to school. My school's closed down, Dad. Then, yeah, I know. I got the message, too. So we drive by. We, we, we drive by. Okay, there's a grocery store parking lot. There's, there's space is still there. Here's the hospital. Here's the parks that you go to. Here's this. Here's this. There's a lot of things which are still very typical of what you knew before. And that settled them down, right? It bought them more days. And we have to buy more days. Um, so in closing here, um, first of all, thank you for everybody in the chat room. Uh, this means a lot to me. I, I, I put a lot of time into the content. I appreciate um, the, the follows. I appreciate the success that this channel has had. Um, I don't monetize anything, right? There's no super chats. There's nothing. Um, if you want to do me a favor, but I mean, you can check this out through Kindle or, you know, through a library to school of errors. You're thinking it's school safety in America, but really I worked with, um, New York city department of planning on, on that book. So there's several sections in there where we did a lot of deep dive analysis of the people that were rescued off of lower Manhattan, 500,000 people in nine hours systems developed. Um, I, you know, and I, I think for you, I mean, you, you tuned into this, you're intellectual, right? You know, you are, you're very aware of what's happening around you. And it's not so much about, um, you know, that, that you can't stay in command of your own locus, right. Of, of your own situation, but you have to be, be aware of what people around you are doing and what they're thinking. If they start to get a little wacky and a little bit out there, your face validity, I guess it, it changes how you have to maneuver, whether you need to be a little more offensive, um, or whether you need to be, uh, you know, a little more, um, supportive of people around you, but you know, you're, because you're tuning into the show, I mean, you, you're already in that 1%, right? I mean, you're smart folks. I really, I appreciate all of you. I know, I know most of you by name. Um, and you're the ones who, who are going to other people that know you and people in your community, they're like that person I like talking to because they make sense and they're level headed and they see things from a macro perspective and, and they understand what's going on and not only what what's happening right now, but they kind of see where things are probably going to be in a week or two weeks or three weeks. And they see this big picture and when I talk to them, I feel better. Like you are the people who are watching this, like Philip and, you know, Bacon, Shin, Sass, Red Crusader, Bullrush. You're the that type of people when relatives talk to you, when people in your neighborhood talk to you, they feel better because like you're level headed, right? And and it's just good stuff. Um, so yeah, and Red, I, I appreciate that. So anyway, guys, um, and I'm going to uh, call it a a night. Um, I Again, I'm so appreciative and thankful that you you've tuned into this this has been a wonderful um live stream and again you know the if people are talking about this is our 9-11 i think you know more if you're going to benchmark it say you know it's our it's our chernobyl <laughs> although everything is unique but there are more reasons that it's similar to a chernobyl than you know saying that this is a 9-11 uh, i'm well check in with your face validity checks and, and just a quick close um, so today we recorded video number seven. We do five minute videos every, you know, about four or five days for our extended family who are elderly that we don't visit, um, because they're, they're either in settings that you can't go to, or it's, it's, it's just not safe to, to visit them during this time. So what we do is these little, these little five minute YouTube videos, and now we kind of script them out as a family and, and do little things, um, just that are upbeat, right? We're not talking about the coronavirus and other stuff like that. Um, but we did video number seven today. And when this whole stuff started, you know, 
I, I said to I said to them, we're going to do this because we want we want to stay connected to you. And when I talk to them, um, you know, it just means so much to them. Right. Because, you know, we're talking to them by name. Hey, you know, grandma and grandpa and whatever. And here we're doing this and, and stuff. And uh, those are things all of us can be can be doing to people that we, we actually, um, you know, aren't able to see right now because of of what's going on. So that's just something I put out there. I, I, we're already up to video number seven sometime down the road. This is going to be some interesting thing to look at as a family of all these, like I call them quarantine videos that we put together. So um, just one more time through the, the chat room um, red. Yeah. Thanks so much uh, for your comments um, and your appreciation of the channel. Uh, Bull rush uh, responding to bacon. I think people are too quick to jump to conspiracy theory when a lot of stuff is more emergent. Yeah, I, I think so. Like, and hopefully like, what I presented here isn't conspiracy theory. I think it's very informed. Even uh, when Brian Bond and I had a discussion um, on podcast 128, it was very informed and very based. It wasn't conspiracy theory. But again, you got to bring, you got to macro level thinking, got to pull out to this macro level thinking and look at things as a whole systems and, and watch how people react and then how you specifically can influence and, and react within those situations. I think there's huge value in that chaos theory. Actually, what chaos theory tells you <laughs> is embrace chaos, right? Chaos presents options. Um, it clarifies your options. And it's this process called simulated annealing. Like you can do a lot of different things to get to point B from point A. And we've kind of got the streamlined linear thing. We got life really simple where we just do like one flight to get A to B or whatever grocery store but we got to maybe get creative. Maybe we got to grow our own vegetables. Maybe we got to sow our own stuff. Maybe we got to do whatever. That's not bad. It's simulated annealing. It's part of chaos theory. It's good stuff. You know, wrote about it. Um, and um, so just wrapping up, I, uh, thank you again. Bacon, Shintz, uh, Bullrush, Red Crusader, Philip, Sass Too Many, um, Jim Mallard. Um, yeah, just uh, thank you so much, Cameron. Cameron, wonderful stuff. You can email me. Um, it's a safety, uh, I don't know, the safety doc at gmail.com. Anyway, it's on safetyphd.com. Check that out. You can you can send me an email. I will have this show up in the next uh, couple hours, complete with a discussion um, underneath it. I'll have a blog post up. I already got that uh, done. So I appreciate it. It's asked too many. Thank you so much. Good stream, Dr. Dave. I appreciate that. I do this for for all of you, you've been really wonderful to me. I appreciate it. again. You're you're the one person. You are you are brilliant thinkers. Um, I'm I'm very blessed uh, that that I've got to know a lot of you and especially face validity. Um, please check in with me. So everybody, we are wrapping this up. Where is Atham tonight? He's down in a cave. And what Atham said is, you can't get cell phone reception down in a cave. So we'll give him the night off. But. Uh, take care, everybody. This is a safety doc out here in Southern Wisconsin on April 11th, 2020. All right. Thank you so much, everybody. This has been the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio show host, and leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Remember to check back each week for the latest, best, and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. You can find Dr. Perodin on Twitter at Safety PhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe.